My name is Evan Klein. I am a real estate investor and a real estate agent that specializes in investment properties. There are lots of great resources out there for general real estate investing advice. This podcast is the one place to go for the best specific real estate investing advice for Winston-Salem and the surrounding triad area. My job is to interview the best investors in the area and share their wisdom with you. I hope the conversations and resources that I provide will be helpful for you to invest in Winston-Salem. Hey, this is Evan. Just wanted to give a little disclaimer before the show starts. I was still getting my audio equipment figured out, so my audio in this recording cuts out sometimes and isn't the best. Thankfully, Jason's audio you can hear fine. I've definitely improved my audio setup and knowledge census point, so future episodes will definitely not have this problem, but just wanted to let you guys know and to give me and the interview a little grace as you listen. Three, two, one, here we go. Um, Jason, good to be here with you. Yeah, thanks for thanks for coming to Winston Tower. Yeah, um, I had to save this for this intro, but your beard was longer just uh, last week when we connected. So what was the thought process around? It, it was, that's that? a really good question. Um, I was sitting across the, the table from my wife last night. She's like, your beard is out of control. So <laughs> literally this morning, I got my beard trimmer out wow. and trimmed it down. So very recent. It's, it's either like, um, <clears throat> I, don't, I don't have a good beard maintenance program. So either it's long and bushy or I trim it with the trimmer. Yeah. Um, I can't maintain it any better than that. So <laughs> how it comes long? And goes. It was pretty long before. How long have you been growing that out? It grows. I have a really I have a bad hair problem where I, I can grow beards really well, but I can't grow hair on my top of my head very well. <laughs> so um, for some reason, my body just likes to grow beard hair. So it grows pretty fast. It'll get that long in a couple, three weeks probably. It doesn't take very long. Really? To get, wow. Get bushy, unfortunately. Yeah. Had to maintain pretty well. I, I was like prepared to compliment you on like how just magnificent it was. <laughs> but now you're just gonna shame yeah. me for it being short again <laughs> or shorter. This is actually the longest comb that my uh, my beard trimmer thing will cut. Okay. So anyway, so you try to keep yeah. it as long. I do like to keep possible. it longer. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. I like the long grays. I just feel like it makes me look a lot more distinguished and smarter yeah. than I probably am. So. Yeah. Uh, I had um question uh that i was curious about to maybe kick us off on but when did the term brain damage enter your lexicon and like what's the origin of that uh i don't know we i go through various um phrases like that of um i used to say with one of my old partners it's not rocket surgery you know um <laughs> but I, I think that I don't know where did brain damage come from. I don't know. I just I think that in a lot of ways, well, when it comes to real estate, it's just not that hard. At uh-huh. the end of the day, it's just not that hard. Um, but not everybody can do it. And yeah. so um I like with my staff and the people around me to to realize it's the fundamentals are not that hard. It just takes a lot of discipline and intention to do it well. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I try to remind them it's it's we don't have to go through a lot of brain damage to do this. It's just not that hard. You yeah. know, like the fundamentals, the blocking and tackling is really pretty simple, but you have to be really disciplined to execute it well. Yeah. And 
And it just takes a long time to learn what works and what doesn't work. Yep. There's a theme I've seen coming up a lot recently. Uh, Justin, I'm listening to other people. The first time I heard it was when I was in the startup world. Airbnb founders, they said um, it appeared, it seemed to them that the most successful startup founders was, were the ones who tried it the longest or like basically didn't quit. Um, and similarly, I've heard it rephrase recently where most people aren't successful, not because they aren't applying the right effort, but they just don't do it for a long enough period mm-hmm. of time. But um, that just... Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, this is my... Um, say it's my 25th year I think it's actually my 26th year of being in commercial real estate so there is something about longevity that I think matters and I think particularly in our culture now where it's easy to I live in Charlotte and lots of people in Charlotte work in banking and they work from Bank of America to Wells to Ally to whatever and there's just not a lot of longevity in a place it's just not as known it's Mm -hmm. not as common anymore there's just something about it, about building repetitions and muscle memory and um, all that. Just, it just, some things just take time. You yeah. know, like, this is, a, this is a great example, or maybe it's not a great example, but um, I, I'm a big bourbon guy, and bourbon just takes time. You have to put it in charred barrels. And just, it just needs to sit there. And there's a bourbon maker in North Carolina that thought, well, we can speed this up by putting more bourbon in a big tank and putting oak spirals because there's more surface area of oak to liquid so it'll age faster and it's just not good it's not true <laughs> like just putting more surface area around it doesn't make it taste better yeah uh it's just more surface area and so something about time just takes time and particularly in the real estate world um in fact i was just talking to our property manager about she's frustrated that our occupancy is relatively low here and she wants it to move faster i'm like we've only owned it nine weeks like right. it's just going to take time and that's okay, but we don't live in a very um, long time taking sensitive culture. We're in a much more instant gratification culture. And real estate's not great for instant gratification. No, but um, real estate in particular is really good at time and market. For sure. So before we get too much farther, can you um, both explain kind of where we are Yep. Know, what you can see out the windows behind you, yep. and um, and also just give like a thirty thousand foot uh, yeah. intro to yourself. Yeah. So um, we we sit currently in Winston Tower, um, dead center of, of downtown Winston. It's a thirty story office tower built in the sixties. Um, at the time it was built, it was the tallest building on the on the like in the southeast for a time. Um, I think Charlotte pretty quickly had a couple buildings get taller, and then now. There's a Wells Fargo building in Winston that's that's taller than Winston Tower, but it was an icon for a long time. Um, literally behind us is, um, it's called the Mini Empire State Building, and truly the Empire State Building was fashioned after the old Reynolds headquarters. Yep. And so there's a lot of, I think, architectural interest in downtown Winston, I think is, is unique to most people. We bought this building about, I think it's been, I think it was nine weeks yesterday. It might have been 10 weeks, but... Um, so we acquired it from some a group that had done it for twenty years. They bought the debt. It had been in. They they bought the debt, foreclosed on it, and done it for twenty years, and did a really good job. Honestly, taking good care of the building. It's in great physical condition. Um, all the major systems have been renovated over the years, and but it, it's 
you know, it's 30 stories tall and it's just a really cool, iconic building. Um, but I started in real estate in 1997 after graduating from UNC. Um, worked for a developer in Raleigh for a year. Uh, ultimately moved to Rock Hill to work for our family business. My dad's been a developer in Rock Hill, south of Charlotte, for went up on 40 years, I guess. Um, I worked for them for worked for him for about 10 or 11 years before breaking off to start my own business uh, back in 2010. So I've been on my own since 2010. Um, I initially partnered with uh, my old college roommate from Carolina, and we were partners from 2011 until 2001. Um, we had launched a fund together a few years ago, and uh, he's uh, taken off with the fund and running that fund, and I went back to kind of doing deal by deal. We can get into the specifics of that if you want to, but. Um, so I started JTM Capital Partners uh, in January of 21, and since then we've acquired uh, three shopping centers in Rock Hill, Savannah, Lexington, South Carolina. We acquired Winston Tower, and um, got a big industrial development that I'm working on too. So a little bit of everything. I've always been kind of a generalist in real estate. Um, so that's kind of the short story of how we how we got here. But we we don't do anything third party. We own and manage and operate everything in-house. Um, here at Winston Tower, we are using uh, a third-party company to do leasing for us, which is a little unusual for me, but uh, we've engaged Linville team partners to do leasing for us. Um, just really believe that having a strong local partner was important for a, an asset like this, and they've been great partners so far, and big fans of them, and glad to have them part of the team, too. Yeah, we we uh, like Linville. Yeah, they've been great, yeah. Yeah, we've got a great team working on it, and um, yeah, I think it's been a. It's, I, I'm really excited about what they're going to bring to the table for us, particularly being such a strong local group for such a significant local asset. Yep, um, that reminds me. Uh, uh, so, in our little email exchange, she says this might be controversial. <laughs> um, one of the things I've uh, so you've done three other podcasts. Um, I listen to just to do research, um, and I don't want to necessarily rehash you know stuff that other people have done. I'm going to link those other podcasts, right? Because those are good con. That's good content. But um, one of the things that I that stands out to me about you is the way you think about incentives and um, how they can be misaligned, and thinking about how to realign them. Um, and I, I do game design as a hobby, which is almost like purely thinking about incentive right. structures with people. Right. Um, but I'm just really curious, how, how did you start thinking that way? Um, uh, the two aspects, well, yeah, I'll just maybe ask that question first. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the easy answer is um, the way that, that I have structured deals for the last, I don't know, 12 or 13 years is um, we commit to a minimum annual cash on cash to our investors. And then as the, the general partner, we take the balance of it. And so every additional dollar that we make almost literally goes into my pocket. And so when I'm paying out commissions or I'm paying out you know, service fees to an elevator contractor or whatever, like it physically feels like it's coming out of my pocket. Because if it's not, if it's coming out of the deal, it's probably money I'm not getting. And so... Um, I want to make sure that everybody that's involved in every deal that we're involved with is adding value. And um, I honestly didn't even intend to, to 
have third-party leasing here until I met the Lindell team. And without knowing it, they they convinced me that I needed to have third-party leasing because I, I believe that they're going to bring value to the building beyond what we could do with our own team. And so that's what it's all about for me is are you adding value or not? And the real estate brokerage business is, is broken in a lot of ways. And, um, but there are those who just add value and they earn their fee. Uh, we've got a, we've got a guy now that's, um, brought a buyer to me of a property that I own and I wasn't even considering selling it, but he said this, this guy has a need and I said, well, I, I kind of wouldn't mind selling it. And he's earning his fee. He's bringing, he's adding incredible value to me by bringing me this, this, um, transaction. Um, so that's what it's all about for me is are you adding value? And, and even my staff here and my staff in Charlotte, like everybody gets a little piece of the deals. Uh, that's part of how we, it's part of how I want to incentivize my staff is the better we do our job, the more profitable these deals are, the more money you're also going to make. And so um, I think that's super interesting, um, whether it's a profit sharing deal or whatever, but to say, you know, we're all in this together, you know, whether it's with a, a vendor or a consultant or an employee, all of our interests need to be aimed in the same direction, which is um, making the property thrive as much as possible. It's not always about, it's not always just about profitability. It's about, for me, I think about the word thriving and flourishing a lot as maybe even being different than just being profitable. Um, so you mentioned the industry being broken, misaligned incentives, and <clears throat> I'll, I'll maybe, uh, how I what I think you mean by that, like kind of go through that, and maybe you can correct me. But uh, so in the typical typical brokerage system for yeah system in real estate, um, if a broker is representing you, they actually get compensated more if they sell the or get a higher price on the deal versus trying to negotiate the price. Yeah, for sure. System. I mean, I think that whether you're talking about a buyer's broker, whether it's residential or commercial, or a tenant rep broker on the leasing side or so let's just talk about leasing for a minute. So the way that that works is that the broker gets paid a commission based on the total value of the lease. And so they may say to you, Hey, it's better for you to sign a 10 year lease because in their mind, they're making a commission on 10 years rather than saying you could do a three year lease with two, three year extensions. You still have basically the same control, but it's only a three year lease that they're getting paid on. And so, and not to say that all brokers do this, because I believe that there's good ones out there that um, really do think of their clients first, but it's hard not to want to make as much money as possible. Right. And so there's just lots of ways you can monkey with it where um, I think that if it's a, a tenant rep or a buyer's rep, and buyer's rep the same way, you know, they, they get paid their commission based on how much you pay. And so they're not super motivated to help you save $100,000 on something because that's money that's coming out of their pocket. Right. The other system I've heard you talk about is how funds are structured or some funds are structured anyway and that the incentives are not paid. Yep. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. And that might yeah. be a good segue to talk about what you think now. Yeah, so real estate funds are interesting because there's so many different ways you can structure them. So, um, so typically the way it is is that they, uh, you know, a fund will go out and raise whatever, $50 million dollars. Uh, for uh, industrial real estate fund, let's say, and they'll go buy industrial properties, but 
those funds have a time horizon, typically. They'll say, okay, we're going we're gonna to shut this thing down in seven years and sell everything kind of no matter what. And so three deal, the three retail deals we bought last year were all from the same fund who were closing and had to sell them. Yeah. And so we actually got really good prices as a buyer because they had to sell it. And so um, we had an advantage in our negotiations because I knew they had to sell these deals. And I just, the timing just happened to be kind of perfect when I called them. They weren't on the market. I kind of called them out of the blue and they're like, yeah, your timing's really perfect. We're ready to list these. So then we negotiated these prices. I saved them a bunch of trouble not having to list it. And also I got them out of this, these deals that they needed to sell. So when my partner and I, my former partner and I started the fund, his fund is Evergreen. So that's the other alternative. It's more like a hedge fund where um, instead of it closing in seven years, it goes on forever. And so investors can see that both ways. On the one hand, I know I can get out in seven years. I'm not tying my money up indefinitely. Um, but you may be at a disadvantage. I mean, who knows where the market is in seven years or interest rates or whatever, that if you have to sell it, you could be in a really disadvantageous position. And so, I don't know, I think that's kind of messy. Um, I do think that the open-ended fund, um, the Evergreen Fund, like my, my partner started, my partner started, is really smart. I mean, our deals have typically, uh, our goal has been to generate lots of cash flow. Um, we don't, I've, I've never really been the kind of real estate investor that, let's, let's buy this today, and if we can do X, Y, and Z, then we're gonna make X dollars in the future when we sell it. I don't, I don't really think about it that way. The way we typically do it is, hey, we're gonna buy this and it needs to make this cash flow year one, no matter what. Then if we do X, Y, and Z, it's just gravy. Right. Those deals are a little hard to find, but that's what our secret sauce has been. So because our, uh, our focus has always been cash flow, the way Andy's fund works is that all those cash flows, rather than going to investors, goes back into the fund. So in the first year, or first two years, uh, we end up buying two other deals just from cash flow from the previous deals. Wow. So investors really compounded. I mean, it's not just you, it, it literally bought more properties. It's pretty powerful. It really creates kind of a snowball effect. The downside being, of course, A, you have no control over what gets invested in it. So it's truly a blind pool. So as an investor, you have no control over that. And B, it's really difficult to get your money out. Um, Andy talks about, his fund being um, generational wealth is what he wants to, to create, which is a great story. Um, but a lot of people that we talked to in raising money for the fund, and we raised about uh, $30 million back in 18 and 19 um, and bought, I don't know, maybe 2 million square feet of, of space uh, with the fund the first round. Um, and some of those investors were in their 60s. And they're like, yeah, but I'm retiring. Like, I, I need that money back. There are mechanisms for it, but it's not easy. So, what I so I left that that track that strategy and went back to what I'd been doing ten years before, which was finding a deal, raising money for that deal, financing it with a bank, and then going on to the next deal. So then investors can say, uh, okay, so why are you buying office space in the middle of an office downturn in Winston-Salem, North Carolina? And there's a great story behind that. And I love telling, I love finding deals that have a great story. Um, and so that's what I like. I just, I like being involved in all parts of the deal, sourcing it, financing it. I really love raising money and then operating it. And so I went, I left the fund to go back to doing that. Yeah. Um, to you, and you, I, you did talk about that a little bit. Um, 
have yep. on your own. And, um, I remember you had said a, a lot of it was just being lonely in Charlotte. Right. Whereas everyone else was in Raleigh. Right. And, and um, aspect of yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm I'm very relational, and so yeah. um, when we start when Andy and I started back in 2010, everything we bought was in Charlotte. So I had like a property management team there, and I was on site with, with the team, and Andy was in Raleigh by himself. Uh, but then as the the fund evolved and the scale of the whole operation got bigger, the gravity kind of moved to Raleigh, and um, so yeah, it did get a little lonely, and yeah. so. Definitely, that was definitely a factor. Um, I want to put a pin in the Winston Tower investment. You had one thing that has stuck out with me is your your very first deal. You uh, after you left the family business, you had commented. I heard you comment multiple times, like you guys didn't have money. You had to assume a loan to get it. But then you also said, and we raised eight hundred fifty thousand dollars to do the deal. <laughs> so how does First timer raise one hundred eighty eight hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, it was uh, it was super stressful. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, the first time around, um, I felt like I was asking people for a favor, saying, "Hey, would you please put some money in this so we can do this thing?" And I pretty quickly learned after that first deal that it's not so much. It's more inviting people into an opportunity than asking them for a favor. It took me a deal to figure that out, but. That first eight fifty was tough. I mean, um, we raised it. I think I think we set the minimum at fifty thousand, but we had some people less than that. Um, we had a couple people that did a hundred thousand, I think. Um, but it was tough. I mean, it you know it's, it's really, it truly is just friends and family money. You know, we were truly talking to people that we knew that we thought might have some extra money to invest in stuff, and a lot of them were saying, "Well." What do you guys, you guys don't know what you're doing. I'm like, well, I mean, I've been in real estate for, I don't know, 10 or 12 years at this point. I know generally how it works. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I'd never done it on my own like that. I'd never operated a deal. I mean, it was a retail shopping center on Independence Boulevard in Charlotte. Like, it was a crazy flyer. Um, but it's been a great deal. We still own it. Um, it's actually on the market for you guys interested. Um, but uh, it's been a great deal. Um, it's been through ups and downs. But we had one investor. Um, come to Charlotte from Raleigh saying, hey, I really, I'm interested in this, but I want to come check it out. So he came to visit me and um, I planned to show him the property and then drive him over to Plaza Midwood, the sexy part of Charlotte, and take him to lunch somewhere. And <laughs> he was like, oh, no, no, I don't want to go to Plaza Midwood. I want to eat at the K&W that's at the property. I was uh, like, all right, I'll eat at the K&W that's at the property. Um, but it's, it was all about just, uh, I think, really earning their trust, you know, that we, we could do it. I think that assuming... The loan that we assumed was a non-recourse loan, different from a bank loan where the bank can come back to you and come after all your assets if it defaults. Right. Non-recourse means that you just give them the keys and you walk away. I think that helped that we had this non-recourse loan. Um, but it was just kind of a crazy confluence of events that kind of brought that whole thing together. Um, some crazy, crazy stories about that, that <laughs> deal. So with the 850, was that to cover the rest of the balance that the yeah the yeah so these numbers are going to be round numbers but um, I think we paid um, I think we paid like 3.75 million something like that so we're assuming the loan so whatever that loan amount was and then the Delta was like I think it was like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars we had to make up and then we raised some extra for 
capital expenditures, tenant improvements, leasing commissions, operating capital. We always overraise that equity amount by some to have some money to work with. So like at Winston Tower, we overraised it by a lot. It's a big deal. Yeah. It's a lot, there's a lot of vacancy here. So we know we're gonna spend a lot of money building out spaces, paying leasing commissions. Um, so yeah, that's just, that was, that, that was a function of the delta between the purchase price and the loan amount and how much money we thought we needed to operate it. Yeah. That, um, that was in 2010, 2011. Yep. 2011. Yep. Um, were, I, I feel like after the whole like 2008 to 2011, true, not true in the commercial space. Um, I don't, I don't know that it was any more or less common then than it is now. I mean, I think that, that CMBS non-recourse loans on a deal that small are pretty uncommon these days. I don't know that many people are doing deals that small with that kind of loan structure. But the, the, the deal that I'm considering selling right now has an assumable loan. And um, my interest rate is at like 4.3%. And so that's super attractive to yeah, an investor right now because if they went and borrowed money now to buy it, They'd be at five and a half, five, eight, something like that. And so that's part of the compelling story for selling that deal to this person is you can assume this loan at this low interest rate, which you can't get right now. Right. So assuming loans is a really powerful tool, especially right now. Yep. But not all loans are that way, for sure. Yep. Uh, we, uh, um, I had mentioned this before we started talking about the podcast, but we've been looking at some commercial stuff. Uh, I'd mentioned this to you. Uh, well, this is actually a question I want to ask too. So um, we were looking at the Hanlon building, which you can see. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but it's a much smaller deal than this yep. is. But uh, it's about 25,000 square feet. It's about like one of the floors. But, um, yeah. Anyway, one of the things that made sense, or seemed like it may have made sense for us, was uh, I called up the lender, and they weren't willing to do a straight assumable loan, but they were like, "We can modify it for you." Yeah. And he took it out in twenty sixteen. Um, so I don't know what rates were on average back then, but less than. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um. So I have a whole list of questions. We're probably not going to get to all of them um, with, well, let's do the Winston Towers thing. So you, you made a comment at least once here and then once when we were emailing, um, like why buy office space now? Mm-hmm. So all that, but also why buy in Winston now? Yep. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I like kind of going against the grain. I don't know, so it's just kind of in my personality. So I, I think that there's, there's a, there's a lot more opportunity when you're buying against the trends than with the trends. And so uh, buying industrial right now is not interesting to me. Buying apartments is not that interesting because the values are super high and there's not a lot of margin, in my opinion. Uh, buying office right now is a little counterintuitive. Um, and so we really had to get our facts right um, if this was a good counterintuitive buy or a bad one. And so... Our premise is that this is an iconic building. Literally, I mean, maybe even in North Carolina, it's iconic. You, most people who have driven down the interstate have seen it. Um, so I think that's interesting. Um, I've always believed in um, 
PNC class office as a as a product type. So as opposed to like the in Winston, the Wells Fargo building is would be class A. One West Fourth here is class A. Um, their rents are a lot higher, um, but I think that they're more susceptible to downturns. Um, One West Fourth has a ton of vacancy. They were fortunate they recruited Inmar from uh, Innovation Quarter. Yep. But without that, that it's in a bad way. Um, but in in my experience, BNC Class Office, um, it's mostly small business, nonprofits, and government. And so there's not a lot of government entities in Winston Tower. Other properties that I own have a lot of government stuff, state of North Carolina, um, federal government, and they're pain in the neck, but they pay their rent come recession or downturn or pandemic or not. Um, but I just believe that there's always going to be a need for the United Way to have an office. There's always going to be a need for small business to have a location for people to meet in. And so I think we're seeing that, I hope that we're seeing that my premise was right, that there was going to be more of a return to office than people expected. And I think that as the job market has softened, employers have more um, more uh, influence over what their employees do. When the job market was tight, employees were, could determine, I'm going to stay from, and work from home, and you just have to take it because you needed the employee. Well, now it's right. softened a little bit. I think the employers are saying, hey, we want you to be back three days a week. And so um, I think those, those were, were part of it, but um, I just think it's a really cool building, honestly. I think part of it is I think it's fun to own, um, but a lot of it, too, is that there's, it's 63% occupied, which we don't really publish very much, but there's a lot of vacancy here. There's a lot of full floor vacancy, and I think we can just test some things. We talk about that if, if Winston starts. Like I think that we can test different ways of leasing office space and just see what works because we have so much opportunity and we bought it at such a good price that we can just test some things and see what works and what doesn't work in the future of office leasing. And it may be that it just stays the way it's been for the 60 years this building has been standing here. But I think we can come up with some creative ways to solve the leasing office needs of downtown Winston. But being as close as we are to Innovation Quarter, I think it's cool. Um, we're walkable to all of downtown. Yeah. Um, I think all that is a really unique proposition to people who need office space in Winston. Parking is available. We've got five levels of parking below the building, and then we own the parking deck next door. So abundant parking makes it really easy. Um, so those are some of the kind of the basic reasons why. Yeah. So you buy an office building. Um, there are how many floors are on here? 30. 30 floors, um, all about... Thirty thousand square feet. No, they the first floor floors are twenty thousand, and then it drops down to fifteen. Okay. So floors uh, five through whatever are fifteen thousand each, and then the first floor are twenty. Okay. Um, sixty three percent vacant. Can you? No, sixty three percent occupied. Occupied. Thirty seven percent vacant. Yeah. Uh, got that uh, backwards. Um, you walk into that. How do you you like you're planning on experimenting? Like, how do you go about? Just, I'm curious about your thought process. Like, yep. uh, you have this problem. How do you go about solving it? Do you look for models in other cities of people doing it? Mm-hmm. Are you literally just trying to throw spaghetti against the wall, and <laughs> see what sticks? Or? No, I mean, I think the I think the the first quarter our goal is just to get the fundamentals right. Um, I mean, the biggest thing for me is rent collection. Like that's the thing that matters the most. It's not how much a tenant pays, but but do they pay on time? And so we've really spent the first two months. This we're recording this on. Uh, 
October 27th. So rent will start coming in. Our third month of rent collection will begin next week, beginning of November. And with my team, I've really tried to drill with them. Like the goal is to get people paying on time every month. If we can spend our time doing that now. That takes care of itself in the future. That goes on autopilot. Yep. So we've got a couple issues, but it, overall it's been really great. Um, now we can focus on what are the things that we want to do here. Do we want to bring in particular amenities? So we're, we're sitting in a, a building amenity now recording this, um, which is fine. I mean, I don't know that it's super compelling, but um, one of the things I really am focused on and I've got the Limble team focused on is we have 7,200 square feet available on the first floor. It really wants to be some kind of market, whether that's, you know, breakfast, lunch, sandwiches, beers in the afternoon, coffee. Um, there's not any grocery in downtown Winston. Um, some kind of grocery I think would be interesting, even if it's, you know, small. Um, so that's something we're really focused on in these first six months is trying to figure out who that is because it's a great opportunity for somebody to be in this building. You've got 30 floors of tenants. You can run sandwiches up and down every day. Um, and for us, it's a huge amenity to be able to have that on the first floor. Yeah. Um, that's the first thing we're really focused on. And I think we can open up into the lobby. We just replaced all the landscaping at the front of the building to try to beautify that a little bit and make it more appealing. Um, and then when it comes to testing things, that's why I'm talking to people like Winston Starks because they're the um, entrepreneurs and the startup creators who are thinking differently than everybody else. So. How do we make this building attractive to businesses like that? And so typically, um, you sign a three-year lease and it's it's fixed and you're in this space for three years, the end of that, you figure it out. And so I'm saying to Winston Starts, what, what if it wasn't that? What if we made it something different? How would that look? And some of what I heard from that conversation was, well, we, we definitely want to have our own space. I was kind of surprised about it. I kind of expected it to be a little different, but that's why we're testing it. That's why we want to talk to different groups and say, what what would make it most attractive? Um, so those are some of the early things we'll do. I mean, we've got True Line is putting their name on the building uh, around first quarter this year, and so our first quarter next year, and so I think that's going to bring a whole new buzz to the building, which is interesting. And um, yeah, those are some things that we're going to try out the first first year at least. Yeah. Um, so just for context for people listening. You, you had mentioned this, but you came to Winston Starks, which is a startup incubator. They call themselves a scalerator, technically. Right. Um, where uh, entrepreneurs, they're specifically new companies that have a certain amount of traction mm-hmm. to go. Like, it, there is an application process. It's not like a co-working space. Uh, you and, you and, there's a meeting, and some people came. Um, but yeah, that's a... It seems so. I have a, a bunch of friends who are currently there, and it's an interesting problem. Like the biggest complaint about Winston Starks that I hear from my friends who are still working there, including my wife. She's actually works. She's in the tech. It's just people aren't coming into the office as much as they did pre. Um, and I think what people really want in that space is this feeling of. Um, because it can be really lonely when you're starting a company and mm-hmm. to be around a bunch of other people mm-hmm. who are doing the same thing. Um, and like you even had someone there yep. who said they want physical space, but it's just weird to me that people aren't, it's like they got into this habit during the pandemic and they have this desire, but they're not breaking their habit of going 
right. back into the office. Yeah, I don't know how that changes. I mean, I, for me, I'm like I said, I'm very social and relational, and so I like being in the office. I like being around people. I don't. I'm not good at working at home. I get distracted too easily, and there's too many snacks. And it's better for me to be in my office around my people and around other business owners because it is it is really lonely running a business like it just is like nobody can really understand the pressures that you're under except for people who are doing it yeah um, neighbors don't understand it your spouse can't understand it your employees don't understand it only other business owners can really understand what it feels like and so I think there's huge value in being around other principals, presidents, CEOs, founders, whatever, um, even if it's just sharing resources. I mean, that's right. one thing we kicked around was, you know, what if we had a, a floor where there wasn't an accountant and an attorney who could also help all those businesses? I think that's super interesting that it just takes a critical mass of companies willing to come together to do that to make it work. Right. And that's what I hope Winston starts. I, I hope that we can be the bridge between being in a, a scalarator and being an independent business, that we can be that in-between spot to help companies land somewhere. Because I think we could be that. We have plenty of space here and plenty of whole floors that we could make that, I think, a really compelling story. Yeah. Uh, if people actually came into the Winston Starts office, I think they'd realize they're way more full than they actually are, and that need would feel much more genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. there's a uh, did you go up to the fifth floor? Mm-hmm. The, I didn't that the, day, but I have been up there. Oh, sorry, this yeah, the floor above. The I've line. been to the other yeah. floor, right? Because that's where like they do have some level of like ascension of companies right. there, and that that's like you have enclosed office space. Uh, Preet, uh, who runs uh, Live Furnish, he was actually he came to the U.S. We were in the same startup accelerator together. His his company's blown up now. <clears throat> but he should not be in Winston Starts anymore. I think he has yeah. like 30 employees or something like that. He wow. has a place he needs to go. But the space is so empty right now, like, the pain works. point, yeah, yeah, it just right. works, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, he's also a tightwad, so he, yeah. he doesn't like Well, and that's, for- and that's part of it is like, and that, you know, I think that as a, particularly as a startup company, you know, Either you're, you're venture funded, you have more money you know what to do with, and you just spend it like crazy, like we see on all the dramatizations of WeWork and whatever else. Yeah. Um, or you have to be really frugal. And that's part of why I think B and C class office is the right answer because it's really affordable office space. And for us, because we have so much, we won't say vacancy, let's just call it opportunity, but so much opportunity, people can grow and contract as they need to. I think that's, that's a really good story in my opinion. Yeah. Um, to come to somewhere like this building, and there's not a lot of this um, in Winston, really. And so, yeah, I just think it's a really, uh, I think it's a great story. We'll see if it bears truth in the future. But yeah, I think it is a need, um, especially for companies that locked into a certain mm-hmm. thing. I, um, I think it's a thesis. It's a strong one. But yeah, it'll be next year. Is just gonna be next couple of years. Yeah, kind of like for sure. adjusting to the new normal. Yep. Um, one of the other topics I wanted to ask you about, um, we touched on it a little bit, but it's a, it is around this idea of community. I know my wife and I, this is more of a selfish question, I guess, but um, especially this past year, my wife and I, like we've advanced ourselves a lot and 
feel more lonely, I guess. And so I'm just curious how you think about community looking for peers or not, yeah. or just kind of like yeah, accept, yeah. accepting what it is. No, yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think that, um, I think about, I mean, I think about this all the time, so I have lots of thoughts about it, but <clears throat> my initial thought is um, proximity is a thing. I mean, during the pandemic, um, we've been in our house in Charlotte for 17 years, and it's large, largely because we love our neighbors so much. We spend a lot of time with them, and particularly during the pandemic, we'd have dogs in the front yard, we'd be out there drinking beer or whatever, and we just spend a lot of time with them because they're close. And um, at this point, I would say they're the people that we would choose to be friends with. There was a time when I was like, I don't know if we choose to be their friends or not, but they're near, they're nearby, so we're going to spend time with them. Um, so I do think there's something about proximity that matters. But I also have joined a couple different peer groups. Um, so there's one, there's one called Vistage, which is a national kind of outsourced board of directors. Um, I'm in one now called C12, which has got more of a faith component to it where once a month I'm sitting down with eight or 10 other business owners and we're talking about businessy things, you know, yeah. like I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, moving, like some amazing, I'm, I'm thinking about moving from Google drive to Microsoft 365. Has anybody done that? Or I'm onboarding four employees this month. How do I do that at one time? Or need to lease some office space. How do you think about it? And the collective wisdom of all those owners who are, have a lot of wisdom, but we're all lonely in our own ways. It's a way that we're building community together to help solve each other's problems and to provide some encouragement and to provide some challenge. Um, some guy says every every month that his PL sucks, well, fix it. Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. get your stuff together and get it right, you know? And so um, I think it's all of that. So, and then I've got a group of guy friends that I spend a lot of time with. Um, a lot of time with smoking cigars, honestly, but also <laughs> like we were at the beach a couple weekends ago and all of them and their their roles are either business owners or uh, leaders of significant business units at their companies. And so that's more social, but it's also personal. So I feel like I have lots of different layers of uh, proximate friends that are just close by that we see three or four times a week. Um, intentional business relationships that are a meeting with once a month or social friends who are also business owners or just same age and stage of life as I am and all that adds to a pretty rich tapestry but I'm really intentional about it um and I think that's what it takes you just got to be intentional like it doesn't just happen yeah. um it takes a lot of work honestly but I like that kind of work so yeah is a uh, Don Barefoot still at C12 Is I don't that... know there's a there's a C12 group in Winston um oh I guess you I don't I'm not sure how they're structured yeah, they're all over the country. Okay. Um, I think it's it's based in like St. Louis, maybe I don't know. But uh, John Gillespie is in one here in Winston. He's an IT guy. Okay. Um, I've gotten to know him recently. He's going to help us with some IT stuff here in Winston. My group's in Charlotte. I think there's eight or ten different C12 groups in Charlotte. Okay. Um, oh wow. And Vistage is the same thing. I mean, it's a huge international organization. It doesn't have the same faith thread through it, but it's a it's a great organization. I really love my time in that as well. So, uh, but it's it's also not cheap. I mean, you're paying monthly to go be part of this, and yeah. it's a lot. But for me, it's worth it because I need other people I can bounce ideas off of, and also like flexing the muscles of solving people's problems that I don't have. So, um, I think of an example. Um, I don't know. 
these other businesses that have problems that my business doesn't have. And so it's fun to help think, think through it with them. You wouldn't normally think about those things. So I just, it's, it feels like exercise to me to work those things you wouldn't normally have to deal with. You're, you're dealing with supply chain issues in somebody's business. I don't have supply chain issues. Right. But it's fun to think through how do you solve that problem. Yep. Um, yeah, there's, it's definitely, there's the famous five people you spend the right. most time with. And yeah. That's, that's kind of what I'm trying to, because like I love my friends. Yeah. But, um, I'm also like headed in a different, you know, want yep. to be a, in a different place than. Yeah, no, I totally get it, man. I think about that with um, with my neighbors, too, because um, they, they don't have the same, uh, I don't know, um, what the right word is, it's dignifying, but the same kind of trajectory that I feel like I have. Yeah. And so, but I can still enjoy them and spend time with them, but I have to go seek out people that are more driven, I guess, like I am. Um, that's not, those people are all busy. Like I am. Yeah. It's hard to make time to be with driven people because we're all. Right. And I hate the word busy, but we are. We're all busy, especially. Yeah. And not only that, you have like tend to have atypical schedules from like right. nine to five. So even exactly. lining stuff up is, exactly. is hard. Yep. Um, pivoting a little bit. Uh, I know in one of the other. So you just, you started your own fund. Um, and uh, I know we're coming up here in about an hour, and I want to be respectful of your time. So, um, when you were restarting your own thing, the part of this question is, uh, I was really curious about your tech stack that you were using in one of the other podcasts you talked about. But I think you've started kind of. It's a two part mm-hmm. question. Um, so you were using. Uh, Deal Cloud, Lobby, Reonomy, and Appfolio. Yep. At that point. Yep. Um, is that is all that still current, or have you kind of found new tools? Yeah. Or like, how have you? So, yeah, tech stack. Then, how have you thought about re kind of building? Yeah. So uh, we still use Appfolio. Um, it's a great property management software that integrates all the accounting into it. Um, I think it's better than some of the real estate juggernauts like Yardy and Peachtree, they're just terrible. They're just <laughs> terrible softwares. And so we're still using Appfolio. Um, I really like it. It's easy. It's easy to navigate. It's not very expensive. Um, we still have Reonomy, uh, but I pivoted to CoStar. Uh, CoStar okay. is actually really expensive, but the kind of content you get out of it is incredible in terms of research. Um, our goal is to go find properties off market. Yep. And it's a great way to research deals. That's the same way we were using Reonomy. It's just CoStar's got some more muscle behind it. Um, we're not using. We're not using Lobby anymore. We were uh, one of their first customers, um, and I'm, I think they've pivoted a good bit since we were using. I'm not exactly sure even what they're doing now, but we're not using Lobby anymore. Um, it's true that we're in Google Drive, and I'm considering moving to Microsoft 365, but that's a whole different thing. Um, what else? Oh, you said Lobby. Deal cloud. Deal cloud. Okay, yeah. No, we use Investnext as our, our investor management platform. Okay. Um, another similar is, is Juniper Square. Um, Juniper's a little more robust. It's also more expensive, but Investnext has worked great for us in terms of uh, that's how we raise money. So we 
investors literally wire their money through InvestNext. It goes into our account and we send distributions back through it. So um, it's, it's a good platform. It's not great. It's a little clunky, but it works fine for what we need. Yeah. I think that's the, I think that's the bulk of it. Um, consolidated all, all of our banking to one bank this year. That was a really big deal. Um, had 10 accounts at five different banks and now all of it's at one, one place. So that was, it's not a tech stack, but we did consider their ability to um, accommodate ACH and wires and fees and all that kind of stuff. And um, I'm really pleased with how that's gone. That's been a great, a great, great transition for us. Yeah. Uh, I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> just our personal well, most life, lenders, but... I mean, I'm using different banks for different deals, and most of them want you to put all your money for that deal with that bank. Right. But I've just told all of them, like, it just doesn't make sense. So you're just going to yeah. have to live with it. Yeah. And they do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm guessing TrueLine was not the bank that you No, they don't have a, they don't have, they're not great at business banking. And they would say that too. I don't feel yeah. like I'm dunking on them too much. But um, they're a great lender. And I really, I'm really grateful for the team that they have. Um, but their online banking is not great. Um, yeah. For a variety of reasons. But yeah, it's not good. Who do you bank with? Who First you, Bank. First Bank, okay. Yep, First Bank. Uh, we actually interviewed five, four different banks and all these proposals, and at the end of the day, uh, First Bank has been a great decision. Yeah. It's been a great decision. For the lenders on the... Oh, yeah? Are they, are they the ones who... Uh, they were like First Pennsylvania or something like First, that? Uh, they were... Well, there's First Tennessee, but that's not... That's, um, that's a different bank. Forget yeah. who all First Bank has bought. They bought a bunch of them. Yeah, they're. Uh, I think it's the same. Yeah, it's the same folks. It might be. Um, so uh, I guess just a couple. You you had mentioned offhand you're looking for more investments. Is there a specific buy box you have? Is it? It seems like you have somewhat of like a gut check with properties you like to look for. Yep. Like you want to like it and wants to feel cool and awesome. But, yep. Um. Is there a minimum size you look for? Probably, or? yeah. Well, actually, in Winston, probably not, honestly, because um, for us to go to a city, it needs to have enough scale that it makes sense to have staff there. Yep. So now that we have staff here, um, well, I'd say no. I mean, probably the minimum would be a million dollar purchase, something like that. But I'd really like to do some retail here. Uh, we're looking at, in fact, I'm going to visit one today that we've, we've identified off market. We've looked at a bunch of kind of small or medium-sized shopping centers. Um, I'd love to do another uh, kind of BC class office um, or like BC class flex. So flex is like the office, the office in the front and warehouse in the back. Um, so we've, we've we started looking at Winston Tower in October of last year. And in a year, we built a pretty broad network of property owners and movers and shakers and people in the city that um, know we're looking. And so people are bringing stuff to us at this point, which is pretty but um, I really love Winston because I, I think that this location is so key in terms of logistics, obviously. Um, but, but as we were buying here, it was on the heels of Truist moving to Charlotte, Krispy Kreme moving to Charlotte. There's a lot of headwinds against us, um, which made office a little bit of a question mark. <laughs> but we're not the kind of building that's going to have Truist headquarters. Right. You know, and the Truist building is on the market now. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens with it. I, mean, I really hope that it's 
something great. You know, I think that the, the next phase of innovation quarter development is incredible. I think what they've done there is pretty awesome. Yep. Uh, the, the, the downtown uh, like festival event art scene is just, it's incredible. I mean, there's so much going on. Um, and so we're excited to be part of all of it, you know. Yeah, it's a, uh, I'm sure this is true of most communities, but this had had a ton of momentum and then a lot of steam out of it. Yep. It feels like we're just starting to pick up again. Yep. At least just the general it's around the city. Yep. Um, seems like we're finally getting some new restaurants opening. Yeah. Um, well, I have friends from Charlotte who come up here um, to go to the cocktail bars because they think Winston's got one of the best cocktail scenes in North Carolina. Yeah. And, Charlotte's got a great cocktail scene, and they come here because it's just different. Ah, interesting. Um, and I think that's, I mean, that's just part of the, the culture and the vibe. I mean, obviously, Foothills has been, Foothills Brewing has been here. They're kind of the OG of craft beer in yeah. North Carolina, and they're part of the, you know, foundation of all that. Yeah. I, uh, I go to Foothills every year. <laughs> yeah, it's a great place. I mean, I've, yeah, it's a great place. Yeah. Um, I really, uh, I've talked with, I just think they're really smart with how they're yep. not doing too fast, but doing stuff that benefits the community, but also the smart business yep. decisions. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think there's lots of stuff and people like that in Winston that really give it this um, kind of gravity that I don't think is going to change. And so yeah. that's what we were attracted to coming here. Is despite the loss of Truist and Krispy Kreme and whatever else, um, that there still is this sense in Winston there's a lot of community pride. Um, I've gotten to know Mark Owens pretty well um, at the Salem Inc. It's like they're like economic development and yeah. chain of commerce, I guess. They created their yeah. last year. year but just his energy of trying to recruit people to Winston, like it's a great story. Yeah. It's a really good reason to come here. And he told me that even though Truist moved their headquarters to Charlotte, there's actually more Truist employees here than there were then. Um, because it's honestly, it's just less expensive to have employees here. Right. Cost of living's less, so you can pay them less. Yeah. Um, and it's a great small town place to live with some kind of big city things yeah. about it. Yeah, the cost of living, I think, really is a thing that they don't like. It's just such an affordable place to live. Yep. And uh, yeah, it, but it also has the some big city amenities. Right. Um, have you connected with the Industry Hill guys at all? No, yeah, a couple people have mentioned that to me, but I haven't haven't done that yet. Yeah, I uh, I know Drew Gershman. Guys, um, if you're interested, I can. Yeah, I no, can, that'd be like, great. Yeah, I'd love guys. to. But that's such a I I really like what they've done there too because they've literally created something out of nothing over in that area. It's mm-hmm. all a bunch of abandoned warehouse yep. space, and now it's a cool like brewery district. Yeah, for sure. I've been over there, but I haven't talked to anybody. Uh, I've known Drew for a long time, but I didn't know her. We've been acquaintances. We went to the same church. Uh-huh. But, um, and then we, I hadn't talked to him for a while. But. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, just a couple uh, rapid fire questions. Is there um, a purchase around $100 that has disproportionately? Recently, mm, around a hundred dollars. Um, 
Could be less. Could be a yeah. Bit. No, I mean, I, um, that's why I need more more prep time to think about. <laughs> okay. I buy a lot of things, unfortunately, <laughs> but um, really unique lately. Um, I don't know. Let me keep thinking about it. Maybe okay. I'll come back to it. Um, and there is there any books you gift more than other books to other people? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, about books I've gifted to people lately. Um, there's one called Four Disciplines of Execution. I think it's a really good book. I mean, it's kind of just tactical how to get stuff done. Um, that that would be one I've given to a lot of people. Um, that's probably the one I would say is the most. It's kind of businessy, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there any non-business books you tend to give out? Well, since um, you made the distinction, it sounded like there might be. Yeah, there's one. I'm trying to remember the name of this one. I'm hesitating. Um, there's one that's called uh, Gentle and Lowly. It's part of a three book series um, that I really loved. I've given it to a bunch of friends. Um, it's really kind of it's it's a faith based book. It's kind of about the character of God being gentle. I think it's been really helpful for me and um, hopefully helpful for people I've given it to. to wrap us up um, you still have a lot of questions uh, I would love to do a round two in like yeah, right. four to six months kind of yeah. see progress on the building yeah and uh, yeah uh, for sure but uh, it's been great thanks so much for yeah thanks for having me it's fun to uh, fun to take a step back and look at the big picture sometimes and not just be in it all the time yeah yeah well it was great um, and uh, yeah, great thanks a lot Yeah.